0: Well, good morning and welcome. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Jordan. I'm the assistant pastor here, and I have the privilege of uh, bringing you a message from God's Word this morning. On the weeks that Gerald is not uh, preaching on Revelation, we work through Ecclesiastes, and we are in chapter 9 this week. So Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 1 to 12. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat in front of you, under the seat in front of you. And... Um, You can follow along that way. So Ecclesiastes chapter 9, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 12. This is the word of the Lord. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved of what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Well, this is God's word. Why don't we ask for his help in understanding it? Our gracious God and Father in heaven, as we come to your word this morning, uh, we, uh, we admit and confess that we don't, do not always understand uh, what, it, what the text is saying at first glance. And so we need your help in understanding it. We pray that you would give us understanding and wisdom. That you would make the Bible clear to us. Help me to do that as well. And help us to all come to understand uh, what you have to say to us this morning through your word. Oh Lord, we uh, thank you that our lives are in your hands. And so we commit this uh, time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in uh, Canadian schools, there are three categories of uh, classes. The first cl- category is for the bright kids. The second category is for the average kids. And then the third category was for people like me, <laughs> who are less than average. <laughs> well, category one and two kids, uh, they were studying things like trig- trigonometry and calculus and algebra. Um, we were learning how to do Microsoft Excel. and um, And what I loved most about that class, though, that I was in, uh, was that the teacher had a way of taking these really complex topics and subjects and simplifying them and making them easy to understand for the students. And that's, uh, sometimes we come to the Bible and we read a text like this and we read the book of Ecclesiastes and we find it perplexing, but it's not as perplexing as you think it is. It is actually quite simple. And Solomon's message here is incredibly simple. And he reminds us of three simple truths in this text. The first truth is that life is uncertain. The second truth is that life is short. And the third truth is that life has meaning. It's quite simple. Life is uncertain. We all know that. Life is short. We all know that. A life has meaning. We, We know that in Christ it does have meaning. So let's start with this first point, life is uncertain, isn't it? Life is uncertain. You don't know what will happen tomorrow. On September 10th, 2001, the folks who went to work in the World Trade Center had no idea that a terrorist attack would occur on September 11th. In 2019, we had no idea that COVID would hit us and everything that was involved with COVID in 2020. And even right now, though I might be able to predict what will happen this afternoon, I can't with any certainty what will ha- tell you what will happen in the next five minutes, the next hour, the next ten, uh, ten hours. Life is uncertain. Now, look in your Bibles at verse 2. Solomon reminds us that life is uncertain. And he says this. He says that the same event, now he could be any event, He is speaking of just a random event, the same event. It could be a a fire, it could be a flood, it could be a tornado, it could be an earthquake. Whatever that event is, the same event happens to everyone, he says. He says it happens to the righteous and to the wicked and to the good and to the evil and to those who are clean and those who are unclean. It happens to the one who offers sacrifices, a.k.a. the believer. And it happens to the person who doesn't offer sacrifices, the unbeliever happens to the one who swears an oath and who shuns an oath. This is an evil, he says, under the sun. The same event, whatever that event is, happens to everyone. A few months ago, we were given an example of that in the 6 o'clock news, weren't we? Turkey had this massive earthquake. It was something like 7.8 on the Richter scale. And not only did... Um, 100 people, 100,000 people get injured, 50,000 people died. And the thing about earthquakes is that they don't discriminate. And our earthquake doesn't pick and choose who it's going to affect. An earthquake hits everyone equally, the rich and the poor, the good and the bad, the foolish, the cops, the crooks, the religious, the irreligious. An earthquake doesn't discriminate. Life is uncertain. And we don't know what the future has in store. I mean... We can make our plans and it's, it's obviously it's really good to make plans, but we don't have any guarantee that those plans will turn out the way that we hope they would. We don't have the power to control the future. Look at verse 11 with me. In a like, in a like manner, Solomon reminds us That life doesn't always go the way we had planned. And he says this. He says, again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, and the battle is not to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches uh, to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. Do you get what he's saying there? Well, first of all, he says that as we look at life, everything appears to be random. And some people do look at life that way. They think, oh, this is, this is just so chaotic. Life is so chaotic and random. I can't make sense of it. Now, as Christians, we know that life is not random. We know that God has a good purpose for all things. If uh, you read the Heidelberg Catechism, Question and answer 27, it says this, and I'll quote it for you, the almighty and ever-present power of God by which God upholds as with his hands heaven and earth and all its creatures. He rules over them, leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty. All things, in fact, come to us, not by chance, but by God's fatherly hand. So, as Christians, we know that life is not random, but life seems random and it seems chaotic. That's what he's saying here. The average person in the world isn't reading the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, they, they are just looking at life and seeing its randomness. And they scratch their heads as they see its randomness. We all expect that the fastest man in the world is going to win the race, not Joel. Sorry, Joel. But, you know, they're, there could be a chance that Joel might win the race. What if the fastest man in the world is disqualified and Joel wins? We all think that the the reigning champion is going to win the match, but sometimes the underdog wins the match. Sometimes we think that that the the wise and the smart are the ones who will go furthest in life, but sometimes the, the fool who squanders his wealth wins the jackpot. These things do happen in life. Sometimes things don't actually turn out the way that we would hope or expect. Life is uncertain. That's his point here. And it reminds me of this story. Um, it's a true story. It's about a man named William Borden. And the year 1912, this young millionaire from Chicago this desires to go to, to China where he's going to preach the gospel. Uh, to Chinese Muslims in Western China. And William did everything to prepare himself for his work in China. He studied uh, at theological college. He learned Arabic. And he was ready to go travel to China and preach the gospel to these people. Only three months, just three months into his trip, you know what happened? At 25 years old, he died of meningitis. He didn't make it to China. He put all that effort into preparing himself to go minister as a missionary. He didn't make it to China. And today, if you go to his gravestone, you'll see these words written. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. His life was uncertain. There was no guarantee that he would even make it to China. But just because his life was uncertain does not mean... That his life was random. His life was anything but random. Even though he didn't know what would happen. His days were numbered by God. His life was in God's hand. His birth wasn't an accident. His death didn't have happened by chance. And even though we may not fully understand why things happen the way they do. His days were numbered by God. That leads me to a second point. Not only is life uncertain, but life is short. We all know that life is short. I recently saw this infographic and the infographic was called Life in Numbers. And it mapped out how the average person who lives to 79 years old spends their time and it says this. It says that on average, the average 79 year old will spend 33 years in bed 26 years sleeping, seven years trying to get to sleep, and that will increase to 15 years if you're a pastor, 13 years at work, 11 years in front of a screen, four years eating, one year exercising, for some of you, no years exercising. Men spend 46 days getting ready for the day. Women spend 136 days getting ready for the day. Now how do you feel about those statistics? Do they intrigue you? Do they depress you? Do they get you thinking? they get me thinking? They remind me that life is short. And that's Solomon's point here. Life is short. He says that in verse 12. Look at verse 12 with me. For man does not know his time like a fish that is taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it, is, when it, it suddenly falls upon them. You know, William, that, that missionary who left for China, he fully expect, expected to spend decades there. He didn't even make it. His life was cut short at 25 years old. We don't know. None of us can guarantee when our time will come. We just don't know. But look at verse 1. What do we know? What do you know? Let me summarize verse 1. It says this, The righteous and the wise in their deeds are in God's hands. Our lives are in God's hands. And perhaps Solomon is quoting his own father, King David, who said in Psalm 31, But I trust in you, O Lord. You are my God. My times are in your hands. And I just love the way that Charles Spurgeon, commenting on this passage, puts it. He says, My times, my life are in God, my life is in God's hands, my ups and my downs, my health and my sickness, my poverty and my wealth. All of those things are in God's hands who arranges and appoints according to his holy will the length of my days and the darkness of my, my nights. All of it remains in his hands who is Lord both of time and eternity. And he says this, And we are glad that it is so. It is comforting to know that the universe is not just a random mess of chemicals. It is comforting to know that God stands behind it that God ordains it, and that God has given it purpose and meaning. And then we find that meaning, as we read the Bible, we find that meaning throughout the, whole, the, the Old Testament and the New Testament. There is comfort knowing that in the chaos, your life is not chaos, that God has control. Life is short. Life is, sometimes feels uncertain, but here's the big question that we need to ask ourselves. How will you spend your life How will you spend, okay, so you spend 13 years working. How are you going to spend those 13 years working? You spend 11 years in front of a screen. What are you going to watch? How patient will you be those 136 days that your wife is getting ready? We know that life is uncertain. But how will we spend our days? There was something in this chapter that disconcerted Solomon. And we see that... Um, in in, um, in, the middle of the book here, I'm trying to find the verse. Um, in verse 3, he says, Also the hearts of children of man are full of evil and madness. It's in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. You know, Solomon, who wrote this book, he, he had this palace, this massive palace that sat on top of Uh, the highest point in Jerusalem. And he had this porch, and on his porch he could look over the city and see all the good and the bad that happened uh, in the city before him. And he saw lots of good things, wonderful things, people helping each other, people being generous to one another, people loving each other. He also saw lots of terrible things, lots of evil things. He saw fighting and cheating. He saw people contriving elaborate lies, He saw people slandering and gossiping. He saw people warring and inventing evil and ignoring evil. There were things that he saw that troubled him, things that he he said are not good. And so he speaks of that evil and this madness here. He speaks of the days that people spend inventing evil and committing evil. He speaks of the way that we as people, as the human race, have rebelled against God and sin against our fellow man. And we live such a short life. And over the days of our short life on earth, we do spend those days ignoring God our Creator and harming our neighbor. How many of our days, how many of our moments and minutes are filled with resentment or bitterness or rage or cold, calculated revenge? Do we fill our days with slander and self-righteousness and pride and arrogance? We do. But here's the encouraging thing. Jesus Christ changes the lives of those who trust him. He takes our days and he repurposes them. He takes the days that have gone past and he forgives those days. He looks at those days that are filled with all of these things that we regret. All of these sins that we've confessed to God. And he, he wipes the slate clean in Jesus. He forgives those. And then he repurposes the days that are ahead. And he gives us a new heart. And he gives us lives that, that desire to serve him and obey him. And that leads me to a final point. Life does have purpose. So we know that life is short. And we know that life is uncertain. And we also need to remember that every life here, God has ordained. God has given it a meaning and value and purpose. There is a reason why we are here. As a pastor, sometimes I take uh, funerals. The thing about funerals is, is it's not primarily about the dead who have gone. It's also about the living. And the pastor's job at a funeral is to address those who are living. In light of the coming day of our death. When Solomon writes this chapter in Ecclesiastes, he didn't write it to dead people. He's addressing those who are living. Why? Dead people can't hear sermons. Dead people don't listen. It's the living who need to hear his message. Look at verse 5. He said, let's read it together. He says, They, the dead, they know nothing, they have no reward, their memory will eventually be forgotten. And then in verse 6 he says their love and their hate and their envy have already perished and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. It sounds a bit insensitive, but it's really a matter of fact. What he's saying rings true. The dead are not here to listen to his sermon. The dead are not here to learn the wisdom that he has to offer. The dead are not here to have a change of heart and a change of life. Their days in church are over. There are no more life lessons to be learned. Since death has already taken them, they have no death to prepare for. But you are the living. And look at this this, uh, phrase that he says in verse 4. He says, the living still have hope. The living still have this opportunity to hear what he has to say. The living still have the opportunity to live what a wiser man than Solomon had to say, that is Jesus Christ. The living are in a better place than the dead. Solomon says in verse 4 that it is better to be living, a living dog, than a dead lion. Now, let me just unpack that there for a second, that little proverb. To be a dog in the ancient world was a bad thing dogs were a pest kind of like how cats are now a pest for us <laughs> but to be a lion was to be at the top of the food chain and so what he's saying is he's saying that it is better to be at the bottom and alive and here ready to hear the message that he has to tell us than it is to be a lion at the top and be dead it's kind of like saying it's better to be a beggar on the street who's alive and has the chance to, to discover the meaning of life and even hear the gospel than it is to be Steve Jobs, rich, famous, but dead and having missed the meaning of life. That's what he's saying. And he's saying for that reason, in verse 4, the living still have hope. And then he goes on to explain what it means to live life with purpose and meaning. And he does that in verses 7 to 10. And if I can summarize verses 7 to 10 and explain it to you, the main point that he's making in verses 7 to 10 is this. Don't waste your life. Or in the words of R.C. Sproul, right now counts forever. Don't waste the life that God has given you. Don't waste Each moment that he has given you. In verse 7, he speaks of eating your bread with joy and drinking your wine with a merry heart. Don't waste that. Don't waste those opportunities. God has given us these good things so that we might enjoy them and that we might thank him. And then he says, Let your garments be white, let no oil be lacking on your head. Uh, in the ancient world, garments, white garments, were what you would wear to a party or a celebration. And you would cover your head in oil if you were going out uh, to, uh, say, celebrate a wedding. But if you, were, if you were at a funeral, you would wear sackcloth and ashes. And so what Solomon is saying is don't spend your life grieving and mourning, but take those opportunities to celebrate. He says here also in verse 7, God has already approved of what you do. Now, he's not saying God approves of anything that you do and everything that you do, but he is saying that God approves of those things that we do for his glory with thankful hearts. That we can experience good things in life and give God thanks for those things. And then look at verse 9. He says this, Enjoy life, with the wife whom you love, all the days of your vain life that God has given you under the sun. He's saying, invest in those relationships that you have with people. If you have a wife, invest in your wife. If you have a husband, invest in your husband. If you have kids, don't squander those opportunities that you have with your children. These relationships that God has given us are extremely important. Then he goes on to talk about work. And he says, in, verses, in verse 10, he says, work hard. Whatever you do, whatever your hand does, do it with all your might. So if you're a doctor, be a doctor and work hard at it. If you're a lawyer, be a lawyer and work hard at it. If you're a farmer, be a farmer and work hard at it. God created us to work. That's Genesis chapter 1. And to do it for his glory. Now obviously we know that there's a spiritual dimension to this too as Christians. We know that from from the gospel of Jesus Christ that our work is not just physical work but spiritual work as well. A father does the work of training his kids in the faith. A a doctor uh, shows his patients the love of Christ as he shows mercy and compassion to his patients. As Christians we don't just work for employers but We also serve one another and try to advance God's purposes in the church. There was a man who was wiser than Solomon. That's Jesus Christ and he explained all these things to us as well. What is Solomon doing here? In much of the Bible, what what the Bible is doing is it's trying to prepare us for the life to come. It's teaching us how we need to live now in light of the future. Well, Solomon's doing something a little bit different here. He doesn't have in mind the life that is to come so much. It's not that that is unimportant to Solomon. For Solomon does believe that there is a life to come. But what Solomon is focusing on here in this chapter is how do we live our lives well now for God's glory? How do we glorify God in each and every moment? He's focusing on life before death. And we see that in verse 10 that he says that there is no work or thought of knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Now, Sheol, often in the Bible, means hell. But in this instance, here in the Old Testament, it likely means just to the place of the grave. And what he's saying is we're all going to the grave. And in light of that knowledge, how are we going to live for God's glory now? And the big question again that we need to ask ourselves in light of all that's been said, in light of life's uncertainty and in light of uh, how, how short and brief life is, what we need to ask ourselves is this. Are we prepared for our death? What do we need to learn here? What is Solomon trying to tell us? What would Christ teach us through his word? And he would teach us this. Today matters. What we do matters today. And the first thing that we should do before we die is be reconciled with God. Most people think, well, I'll let it go. I'll wait till I'm on my deathbed. I'll get serious about God, you know, in 10, 20, 30 years. No. Today is the day that all of us need to come back to Jesus. Whether we are new in the faith, whether we've been Christians our whole lives, Today is the day that we return to Christ in faith. Why? Because Solomon says, we might not have tomorrow. As Psalm 95 says, today, today, if only you would hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts. Today matters. Today is the day that we need to own up to our sins. Today is the day that we need to confess to God. Today is the day that God will be gracious to you. Today is the day that we give our lives to Him. Today matters. Why? Because life is short and it is uncertain. And the meaning of life is not to get rich or die trying. Nor is it to have a million followers on Instagram. Nor is it to be super successful. The meaning of life is to know God, trust God, and serve God as the shorter catechism says, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Today is the day, he says. Now, I want to conclude uh, with this story. And it's a true story. um, And it's taken from the day that my grandfather died. And when my grandfather passed away, he had this little book. It was a book of these Puritan uh, prayers. And there was this page in the middle of the book that was kind of folded and creased. And it was the most worn page of the book. So you can tell that he had been reading that page over and over again. And on the day of his death, uh, we prayed this prayer together. And it was a beautiful prayer. And it says this. We prayed these words. Almighty God, as I cross the threshold of this day, I commit myself, soul, body, affairs, and friends to your care. Watch over, keep, guide, direct, sanctify, and bless me. Incline my heart to your ways. Mold me wholly into the image of Christ as a potter forms the clay. May I speak each word as if it were my last word and walk each step as if it were my final step. If my life should end today, let today be my best day. And that afternoon he breathed his last breath and he went to be with Jesus. And that's my prayer for you today. If your life should end today, let it be your best day. Let it be the day that you know that your sins are forgiven. Let it be the day when you uh, confess your sins. Let it be the day where you return to the faith of your youth. Let it be the day when you finally come to understand that you, that you are loved by God after all these years of not understanding that. Let it be the day where you teach your children what matters most. Let it be the day where you serve your Christ, your, serve your wife as Christ has loved and served you. Let it be the day where you resolve to forgive. So if today is your last day, may it be your best day. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we, cross be, as we cross into a new day, we commit our lives, our souls, our bodies, our affairs, our friends to your care. Watch over, keep, guide, direct, sanctify, and bless us, your people. Incline our hearts to your ways. Mold us wholly into the image of Jesus as a potter forms the clay May we speak each word as if it were our last and walk each step as if it were our final. O Lord, if my life should end today, let this day be my best day. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.